You are listening to the podcast Invisible Fintech, Open Banking and APIs hosted by Amit Goel and Sally Rabindran from Medici. Hello and welcome listeners. I'm your host Amit Goel and this is the place where fintech banking and technology folks learn about how financial firms old and new are leveraging the power of APIs. Fintech companies have looked at API first development for long but banks and FIs have the potential to unlock everything from individual digital services to a full API ecosystem of developers and partners. We cover many facets of the API revolution in this podcast such as open banking, open APIs, banking as a service, financial infrastructure APIs and fintech APIs. And how these open several new business opportunities for banks, fintechs, and tech fins around consent-based data sharing and open API-based integrations. The whole world is building on APIs. Don't be left behind. Learn, collaborate, and execute fintech. Hello, uh, everyone. Welcome to the 14th episode of uh, the podcast, Invisible Fintech, where we talk about financial infrastructure, banking as a service, and everything else which goes under the hood uh, or behind the scenes in financial services. Uh, we are very happy to have uh, the team from Drive Wealth today. Joining us is Stephen Nash, who is the head of business development uh, at Drive Wealth. He's based out of San Francisco. And then we have Liz Rabban. She's the executive director at Drive Wealth um, and based out of the East Coast. Um, uh, Drive Wealth is a cloud-based API-driven brokerage infrastructure. Um, they enable thousands of US securities and mutual funds uh, to, uh, you know, they make them available to financial brands uh, worldwide. Um, if you have, uh, especially for the Indian audience, if you have used Vested or IND Wealth, uh, you would have used Drive Wealth in the background. Uh, that's how huge they are. They are present across more than 150 countries, I believe. And at the same time, they also have a comprehensive set of licenses in the US. And one of the licenses I'll mention is uh, they were, I think, the first ones in 2015 to get fractional shares uh, uh, license to be able to operate that as a, as a service. So pretty fascinating stuff. It is a combination of having licenses as well as being able to create um, uh, a very technology-driven, uh, you know, APIs-driven cloud-based platform that, uh, you know, fintech companies and financial brands can use sort of all over the world to invest in U.S. securities, mutual funds, and uh, other things. So with that, um, you know, I would uh, basically jump in and start uh, with a few questions. Um, my, my first question uh, to you guys is that what is the value proposition of Drive Wealth, you know, for the, for the audience here who may not know about the company and what is the tech regulatory and license tag that you have to support it? Um, so, so thanks, thanks for the, the introduction and, and the, the opportunity to chat with you today. Um, you know, the, the value proposition in, in, of Dry Wealth is, is, is really mission driven to democratize investing globally and give our partners via a comprehensive suite of APIs the best and newest technology available to be able to power a the next generation uh, embedded investing application um, and, and, and extend that capability to trade fractionally uh, in a way that that is 
truly engaging with uh, with with the customers of our partners. Um, from a uh, tech and regulatory side, you know, Drive Wealth brings to the table um, a you know multiple layers of experts on compliance and and also um, you know technology to you know enable teams that work with us to build um, you know experiences that are uh, compliant and um, and best of breed. Right. Fantastic. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, we know that you have a bunch of customers in India uh, and, uh, you know, it will be great if you can talk about them in general. And also, uh, you know, if you can also add, um, you know, what is the growth in investments in the U.S. stock market from Indian retail investors and how big is India versus some of the other markets that you see? Um, hi, thanks so much. First of all, thank you so much for having us. It's very exciting to be with you. Um, just before we step into that, I want to go back to one thing that Stephen touched on, if that's possible, and then we can lead into the Indian marketplace. Um, oh. On our mission of democratizing investing globally, I, I just want to be clear that that is something that, you know, it's not just democratizing investing, it's really about access, right? It's about you know, I, I like to think of it in terms of uh, the UN sustainability goals. Are you familiar with the UN SDGs? Um, num goal number eight yes. for the UN um, is the sustainable of the sustainable development goals. And just let me read it. It's promote sustained, inclusive and sustainable economic growth, full and productive employment and decent work for all. And the subheading of that, which is 8.10, um, is to target is to strengthen the capacity of domestic financial institutions to encourage and expand access to banking, insurance, and financial services for all. So I just like to think of what we do at Drive Wealth with our partners globally as aligned with one of the 17 key sustainable development goals of the UN. Um, and, and with that in mind, I think that is that was the mission that drove our founders to start the company. And that's the mission that just um, resonated with the investors that, that, that came into our round and it's the mission that resonates with our partners. So that's the key driving force for us is really to expand access to global financial services. In this case, it's investing in US securities. So, um, so that, that I just wanted to make sure that like at the outset that drives all of our other conversation because that, that's a really key force for everyone that works here. I mean, we, we're all, you know, we all feel empowered by our product to help, you know, meet these needs. That is um, such an important so, thing, yeah. Um, yeah, so I just, I just like, I always refer, you know, like to refer people to the UN Sustainable Development Goals because, um, you know, we're not there yet, but, but we're, we're trying to get there. And, and hopefully that, you know, that, our partners share our vision in this endeavor. Right. And, and, and certainly as it relates to your question on, on India, uh, India, exactly. Um, you know, we, 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 you know, over the next, you know, three to five years, uh, we, we see, you know, really an, an, an explosion of opportunities um, in, in, to work with partners um, and, and empower uh, people in, in India to be able to um, interact with and own, um, you know, fractionally 
uh, equities um, that are that are in, in the U.S. market, and in a way that that truly democratizes the 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 ability for anyone with any amount of money to be able to buy, you know, a, a fraction of a share of Berkshire Hathaway A or or Amazon. Um, there it really does allow um, for for a customer to um, you know start at whatever size um, of investment that they're comfortable with. Um, and so, you know, what we see is that, and we can see the demand among, um, you know, in the country, you know, skyrocketing um, through, you know, what we um, can see from the, 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 the customers that our partners are onboarding. And, uh, and, and we, we, we are, you know, we, we view that India will be an increasingly important market for drive wealth in the long run. Right. Right. Great. And um, I would like to sort of invite my co-host, uh, Salil, uh, you know, to ask some of the questions that he had. Salil. Yeah. So, um, uh, Liz and Steven, uh, thank you for joining us on this podcast. Um, uh, you know, this is... Uh, such an important thing in the overall scheme of things when we talk about embedded finance. Generally, you know, we tend to look at things in the form of payments being embedded and off late credit coming into the picture. Investing, um, you know, embedded investing, if I may uh, use that phrase, is still catching up. Uh, but we've seen in India that, you know, this is uh, starting to become really popular with uh, most of the wealth tech uh, the serious wealth tech um, uh, startups and, uh, you know, scale-ups seriously uh, looking at investing in overseas um, exchanges uh, through dry wealth, of course. Uh, my question is, uh, you know, what are the kind of segments that you have seen, uh, which are kind of red hot right now uh, in terms of adoption uh, of embedded investing? Is it purely just financial services, um, uh, you know, businesses like wealth tech, or are there even non-financial services businesses that are, um, you know, trying to look at embedding investing into their own uh, products? That's part one of my question. And part two is, uh, you know, is this a phenomenon that you're observing purely in emerging markets such as India, or is it something that is uh, sort of global and also in other advanced markets? Sure. Um, so thank you, Salil. <clears throat> Oh, Steven. Yeah. So what I was going to say is uh, the short answer to that is definitely not only wealth tech, right? The whole concept of embedded investing is that it's embedded in, in whatever the, you know, the app that you might be currently looking at or how, you know, how can apps create engagement? How can other financial services apps really bring, you know, in, enhance their value proposition to their users? Um, the explosive adoption and growth of mobile phones and the apps associated with phones, as you know, um, creates this, you know, a new generation of people who have expectations that cross services within their apps, right? Um, so, I mean, in India specifically, as, as we all know, there, there's massive technical adoption. It's a tech savvy country. Um, and then, and then everybody has the power in the palm of their hands right now to be able to, um, 
uh, you know, availing themselves of different services. So the, the short answer to that is that it is definitely not only with wealth tech as a segregated um, kind of vertical. Um, the, you know, to that point, we are working um, not just in India, but globally with both wealth tech providers, traditional financial institutions and financial services organizations, uh, and then anybody that touches some kind of financial aspect of somebody's life, whether it is payments, whether it is other kinds of services that they might use. The next wave of this is going to be that it's embedded into any uh, commercial application, really, uh, where there is, you know, wh when what part of your life, when you think about it, both Amit and Celia, does finance not does finance not touch? Yeah. Um, it, it, there's nothing. I mean consumers are thinking about it with the brands that they buy and what, what their purchasing power is. Um, families think about it for their, you know, between parents and children, you know, how do they, how do they secure their, their generation and the next generation's future? So I think that, uh, you know, I think there's also a lot more conversation openly about finance, finance and financial services um, across all kinds of different demographics that may not have occurred in the past, quite honestly. There's an openness and a, and a, and a global conversation happening. So, mm -hmm. um, so with that in mind, I think we're looking at, at all kinds of global partners that are offering value across, you know, at scale. And um, so, so, so that's the answer to that is it's definitely not wealth tech. Now, what's wealth tech doing? They're definitely, they're, they're, def they're, they're coming to us, you know, right? They're, they're looking for the yeah. best solutions. Um, and so one of the things that they know that they've, that the world and in India and all of our, our, you know, the countries in which we operate, they're, they're looking for the most innovative technology with, that they can scale with, um, not just for today, but for long-term. And to, to address kind of the second part of your question, um, whether this is just emerging markets, I, I, I would say that, you know, if there's one thing that this pandemic has has um, shown us is that it's marked uh, the beginning of an era that investing is borderless, and yeah. and there are you know there are large unbanked and underserved populations, um, you know in, in in mature and emerging markets you know across the globe, and and you know the technology that DriveWealth has provides the opportunity to empower these people to become investors. Um, through our partners, um, yeah. so engaging with the needs of you know underserved um, segments of the market, um, you know, provides the opportunity to create you know, a more inclusive financial system by providing you know affordable access to investing in other financial products and services through the embedded offerings that we're powering. Um, so. You know, and I, I think that that right now there are a number of technology companies that have um, provided, you know, a single, a, a simple digital wallet for their customers. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and those companies know now that uh, that that embedded investing product that alongside of that um, is 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 becoming a must have um, and, and, you know, versus a nice to have. And so when we think about the, the, the targeting of, of um, the companies that we work with across the globe, it's really being cognizant of that and, and working to enable those companies to efficiently 
offer this product in a way that uh, provides real value for their, their customers and, and engagement for the partner. Mm, okay. Right. And, um, you know, uh, just a question on the business model and probably something, um, you know, much more strategic. Right from the outset, was it always a plan to stay B2B or, um, you know, has it ever occurred um, or has it ever been a consideration for you to also consider direct B2C models? Because you have the platform um, and, uh, you know, therefore going to consumer should not be very difficult for you. So has it been a very conscious decision to always stay as a middle layer, which connects consumers with your backend partners? Sure. And, and, and this has been a conscious decision, but an important part of, of being B2B and the decision to remain B2B um, comes down to what delivers uh, the best customer experience and provides the most benefit to our partners. And in our model, uh, our, our B2B partner owns their customers and receives the benefits achieved from the, the brokerage engagement that they do on their platform. It also gives them complete control over the UI and the, the, the ultimate um, look and feel of the product that, that is aligned with, with their platform. So, you know, if we think about, um, you know, drive wealth and a B2C factor, we, we really do not want to and would never compete with our, the partners that we're powering and, 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 and very much so want to preserve uh, the offerings that we power um, you know, to, to have the, the absolute best customer experience. And we think that that is derived from a partner um, that is compliant and regulated to be able to offer the services themselves. I'll just probably pick one more question before handing it over back to Amit. And, uh, you know, this is about, um, you know, the typical, obviously this is a very tech first sort of model and, um, you know, you work with a lot of backend partners. Um, what are the typical, um, you know, uh, challenges you would encounter in integrating with your backend, uh, with your backend partners or any sort of downstream systems for that matter? Effectively, what you're trying to do is, abstract a lot of the complexity, which otherwise your, um, you know, customers would have had to undergo uh, in, in completing that value chain. That's what you're trying to abstract, which means you're doing the heavy lifting of, um, you know, stitching a lot of things in the back end together. What are the typical challenges that come up uh, both on the technology side, as well as the regulatory side, if you could uh, spend a few minutes, you know, another way of looking at it, this, uh, at this is have things easy, have things become easier to integrate with these backend partners in the last um, six, seven years technologically, uh, would it have been the same had this been, you know, seven, eight years ago? So I, I would say that the, the backend technology work that DriveWealth does um, and, and, and takes care of is, is a key value proposition that, that we are able to surface because um, you know, we are the, the key technology provider and to, to our partners. Um, and, and what we've done with our technology is, is really start from scratch. That is, 
not rely on any legacy equipment to deliver a technology value proposition for brokerage. And in doing that, we are making every piece of our technology stack at DriveWealth to be exchange grade and, and, and continuously seeking um, layers of redundancy uh, that enable us to have multiple ways to overcome issues that may arise with any one provider um, and also keep up with the volume, the sheer volume that, that we are generating from it, the trading side, um, you know, that it's coming through our partners. So what that means is that, that our partners are receiving, you know, and, and will continue to receive the, the absolute best technology experience um, that meets the need and is continuously improving, um, it, you know, as, as they grow their business, we, we, we have the, the business that, that from an infrastructure standpoint is, 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 is superior. Right. Okay. And, uh, uh, as far as connecting to these exchanges, sure. uh, is concerned, uh, uh, are things becoming easier as far as technology so, on the other side is concerned? That's an interesting question. It's one that we, you know, as an, both as a company and as an industry, we do deal with. So, for example, um, the majority of tech in the brokerage world outside of DriveWealth is actually still overwhelmingly file-based. Hmm. Uh, firms, firms literally pass around spreadsheets once or twice a day between brokers and vendors which usually means that the infrastructure, even in sophisticated and developed financial markets, um, is ill-suited to the basic, you know, investors' basic expectations. Um, so there's a lot of support work just to support more common use cases, like showing someone their positions updated in real time. So that that is one of the industry challenges that we are working with. Um, but on the flip side, you know, we, we, as Stephen mentioned, everything we're building is to, you know, to look forward, you know, to both have these amazing experiences on redundancy, but to look forward. Um, in terms of connectivity, we're a member of NYSE, NASDAQ, NYSE American, and NYSE National Exchanges, right. um, meaning we offer direct connectivity to these destinations which allows customers um, to achieve the highest quality execution of their trades. So what that means is we also have the ability to access any equity endpoint through our longstanding relationships with several top tier institutional broker dealers, which is you know, institutional power for all of our, the, the retail customers of our partners. Right, sure. Amit, back to you. Sure. Um, I wanted to ask a very specific question about uh, uh, you know a metrics that is very popular in fintech, which is called real time, uh, and especially very relevant from the Indian context because we in India we have this thing called UPI, which is like a real time payment system, which is has become um, you know something which is kind of referred by a lot of countries, you know, when they are building their own real time payment systems. And so my question is in that regards that. Today, when we use, um, you know, some of these platforms like Vested, there is uh, some some lag in terms of, like, you know, once you do the KYC, after that, you have to fund the account, which takes like two, three days, and then, you know, you start investing, it takes another, you know, some time. So my question was that, 
are there some regulatory business or technology barriers in kind of you know moving this to real time or you know near real time experience in buying stocks from overseas exchanges or uh, what is the issue i would say in in india there are unique challenges with money movement and how that is done um so each market is different from the regulatory requirements that a broker or a, a um, financial services company must operate um, and each have their own unique challenges. What Drive Wealth is doing is working to enable the ability for our partners to offer their customers a, a much more streamlined and efficient way to uh, to be able to trade stocks that feels, um, at least from the customer's perspective, um, that that things can be done instantly. And that's certainly where we are getting to with with many of the partners that that we power, you know, that are not just in India, but all over, is this ability to instantly open a brokerage account to be able to then instantly trade with with cash that is on the cut on the partners platform and 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 really in the background uh, settle all of those those instant trading experiences with the partner directly um you know i i would say that that that's really what we have worked to and continue to strive to 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 deliver for our partners in light of the unique challenges of every single market right got that um I actually sort of missed one part of the question earlier, which was that since you are having customers all over the world, um, apart from India, what are the other, like, what are your top countries? You know, what are the top four or five countries from where you have like the most number of customers and, and traction? Yeah, sure. So it's interesting. Obviously we have, you know, we have significant penetration here in the US, but uh, as we continue to evaluate where our partners need us, um, there's some there's areas of the world we're particularly excited about, uh, and, and I would say India, but all of Southeast Asia, as a you know, is looking to these U.S. investing solutions. Um, so we're really excited to working across Southeast Asia, and then uh, Mexico has a booming fintech scene, um, as does Brazil and some of the other LATAM countries. Um, I, I would say that we're taking tremendous inbound from the, the countries of Latin and South America, um, which, you know, it, which is also, it, it's just, it's very exciting to be um, able to work with global partners in these, in these regions. Uh, and, and all of us, uh, you know, we, we haven't been on planes so much in the last couple of years, but as that starts to open up, I can tell you that, um, you know, Stephen, we were just in Brazil and, and we're heading to uh, Money 2020 in, in, in the EU next week. In fact, if any of your listeners are going to be at Money 2020 in Amsterdam uh, next week, Stephen and, part, and some of our teammates will be there. Um, and then we will we'll be at some of the other conferences that are starting to happen again. So uh, although everybody was sitting at home, the global markets were certainly waking up to what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> That actually is a good segue into one of the other things I want to ask that um, I think there might be a lot of companies which might be very interested in uh, talking to you, uh, talking to you guys uh, at DriveWealth. And so if, if, a, if, if, uh, if a company is actually interested in partnering with you, how should they go about uh, that? You know, whom should they approach? Um, uh, you know, can you share something on that? 
Sure. So the, the, the best way um, would be to go to DriveWealth's website and click on the contact us button um, that, that is that is on uh, on the website or they can reach out to us at sales at drivewealth.com. Um, but in, 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 in doing that, what, what we would encourage is for, you know, um, we would encourage that, that people share with us um, as much as they can about, you know, what they're looking to build with the technology set that, that, we, that we have. Um, because we are absolutely looking to to partner with the leading um, companies, but also the leading entrepreneurs that that have you know good financial backing, business plans, and a track record for for building the next digital um, and innovative, um, disruptive platform. And so, um, but the more you can share with us, um, you know, by by um, you know when you reach out on you know your team and your your business and and your val- the value proposition that you're looking to build um, leveraging our technology the the better right and is there usually we ask this in the fintech uh, you know especially the api provider word that uh, do you have like a sandbox or something where they can try out your apis or uh, you know just sort of imagine what kind of solution they can build or how is it like how do they experience it before getting into a contract with you guys so we we do offer uh sandbox to to our partners um and 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 allow them to you know in a sandbox build um experiences prior to to moving into production um and and the best way to to get access to something like that would be to to contact um you know to contact uh, us through either sales at drivealth.com or go to drivealth.com um, so that you can start a discussion with, with someone on the business development team. Okay. Well, one last question on this was that uh, what kind of integration timeframes are there? Uh, how, how much time does it take uh, once somebody has approached you guys and they start integrating with you? This is truly my favorite question to answer <laughs> because <laughs> we can actually, it really is. We have, we have an extraordinary, um, a team to work, you know, work with our partners on integrations. I believe our our record is 35 days uh, with one partner, but it, generally we can go as fast as our partners can go. So once once and again to Stephen's point about what they want to build, if if people have a clear idea of what they want to build and how they want to execute it with us, uh, we can go as fast as as they can in terms of the development and technology side. Um, generally speaking, I would say on average, it's, uh, you know, somewhere in the range of 60 to 90 days is normally our launch target for our partners. But, um, the, uh, the integration team has kind of a contest going on how fast they can move with partners. (laughs) Right. Great. So, um. Those were kind of, you know, our questions. Uh, thank you so much for all the answers. Is there anything else that you want to share which we may have missed? No, I mean, listen, I, I, I want to just refer back to our mission. And so this is, I, I leave this for your listeners, um, whether they're in the fintech space or just curious about the fintech space, is the, the concept of embedded finance and the concept of democratizing investing is truly 
it's life changing because it's not just about that, you know, that that the, the stock that you're buying in that moment, but it's about planning for the future, right? I mean, this is really about how you see your future and in your financial and and well well-being over time. Um, so these are these are not just the hot topics of the day. I think this is a, this is this is sustainable. And I actually, which is why I refer, in fact, to UN Sustainable Development Goals because the concept there is that it's sustainable. Um, th- this isn't a bandaid on on an econo- economic solution for global partners. This is truly um, a different a revolution in what we can build and, and undertake with our global partners and for their customers. Um, so that, you know, I just want to come back to the mission at the end of the conversation, which is that we hope that that both your listeners and all of our partners um, continue to go from strength to strength and build great products for their retail customers that will empower them to do the things that they want to do and, and empower their goals in life. Right. No, super important stuff. And I also wanted to let our listeners know that um, you know, DriveWells recently raised about $450 million at a $2.85 billion valuation. Uh, but you see how, you know, the two, um, you know, speakers actually are more concerned and talk about the mission and the vision of the company and the product and, and the customers. <laughs> you know, and, and we see a lot of, <laughs> you know, companies actually just boast about the, the money that they have raised. This is a great sign of a matured company. With that, uh, I would like to thank Stephen Nash and Liz Rabban for joining us today. Uh, it was a really wonderful discussion. I learned a lot uh, and uh, I'm sure our listeners will thoroughly enjoy this discussion. Um, thank you so much everyone for joining us uh, and uh, for the next time. Um, uh, bye. Thank you. Thank okay, you guys. so much. Thank you, Stephen. You bet. Thank you.